Welcome. You're listening to Sanseet, where you'll find everything to do with spirituality, life lessons, holistic living, and medicine to become your true self. We all have stories, journeys, experiences, and love. Here's your host, Erin O'Dowd. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Sanseet. On today's show, we have Vernon Katabu Turner. He is an author of The Soul Swords, The Way and Mind of the Zen Warrior, The Secret of Freedom, Soul to Soul, and many other books. He has a website called Soul Swords, and his website is www.soulsword.com. Hello, Kabul. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Everyone. How are you? Perfect now. What inspired you to write these amazing books? Living the life itself is where the books came from. I um, was exploring the, the secret of my being. And the more I began to uncover, the more I wanted to share. Okay. And were you part of Zen or was that just your exploration? That came later. Actually, I grew up in a Christian tradition. And... Uh, some people say that I was a, a, a meditative Christian or a medit- mystic or whatever, but I grew, I grew up in that tradition and uh, embraced it in my childhood. But uh, I was more into the esoteric aspect than the dogmatic. Tell us about how you got into writing the books and into the spiritual world. I can't divorce the spiritual world from my earlier experience in Christianity, but the way it got into the other aspect or the mind aspect was um, as I grew up, I became more troubled by the environment and uh, the world in general, and I began to seek answers. I became very depressed by circumstances. One day, I went out uh, to the park in New York. I was I lived in Virginia at first, but I moved to New York. I went to New York and uh, I was in a park, Tompkins Square Park, and I prayed and I said, remove this feeling from me or remove me from this world. I, I couldn't take it anymore. And at that point, I felt the wind whip up and the wind seemed to be pushing me. I decided to just go in the direction of the wind. And I walked, and then I was pushed around the corner. Next thing you know, I found myself standing at the subway. And I went on the train, and I was compelled to get off at Washington Square Park. And when I got in the park, I felt a spirit of peace come over me. And I kept walking, and I found myself standing in front of a Japanese man who was sitting on a bench wearing a kimono, and he had his hand folded in gasho, the prayer posture, mudra. I waited, and he looked at me, and he said, how may I help you? And I just said, uh, I'm interested in Zen. I didn't know anything about him. The only reason I knew anything about Zen was because one of my teachers in, in high school had read one of my, my papers 
and surmised with her husband that I was very Zen-like in my philosophy. So they gave me a book by Philip Carplow called The Three Pillars of Zen. And I read that during the summer. So that's the only reason I even knew that word. So when I said that, he said, my name is Numero Roshi. I'm a Zen master, newly arrived from Japan. And at that time, he gave me his address and invited me to come to his Zendo. And that's what I did. And how did it feel meeting that master? At the time I was with him, physically in his presence, all of the anxiety was gone. And I felt uh, transported. But by the time I got back to my apartment, the anxiety had returned. And I realized I had to work at it myself. That it's not something I was going to get just by osmosis. So when I went back with him, he taught me how to sit. Uh, Shikantasa, the just sitting practice of Zen. And it was from that practice, Shikantasa, that I was uh, able to eventually achieve Satori. Can you explain what these words mean? You're, you're saying the Japanese words, but what, what? Well, some people would call it enlightenment. I call it enlightenment experience. When your mind turns over and a whole new way of seeing things occurs, it's uh, hard to describe other than that, except your vista is not the same as it was before. You see the world completely different and yourself in it as differently. For, for one thing, there was no separation between my thoughts and my actions at that moment. When I uh, had that experience, I wanted to stand up and I found myself standing without feeling emotion. I was walking in my apartment and I saw dishes in the sink. And the next thing I knew, I was washing them without any effort and going out of the door. Everything was a seamless activity. And that continued for quite some time. And was that simply after meeting once or was that over a period of time? I met him when he taught me the, the Zazen aspect, what you call the sitting meditation. I was only with him a brief period, but I practiced the teachings for years. I see. And over that period of years, were you slowly adjusting to the changes? I could say that things were happening to me, but the overturning was at once. I was feeling things happening to me, but they were frightening. You know, I knew something was going to happen, but I didn't know what it was. My feeling was that I was going to die if I could, and if I continued to practice. But then I made the decision that it would be better to die attempting to overturn these feelings than to live with them. So when it occurred the next time, the feeling of death was coming, I just stayed with it. And then I broke through. Can you explain that feeling of death, what it means to you? At that time, it seemed like it meant being wiped out of existence. You know, that I was going to experience uh, the darkness. That's what it felt like. And that was not a good feeling. But that's not what happened. Instead of the darkness, I experienced the light. Through the light, did your your own personal journey improve after that? Well, one thing about it, until that time, 
I had been practicing uh, the martial arts pretty much on my own. And when I had this experience they called the Satori, I had an awakening in that area as well. And it was so powerful that I decided I would seek to be tested by experts and masters to see if what I was experiencing was genuine. So I went to see some of the, the best known martial arts masters and uh, to, that could be found, such as uh, Master Moses Powell, Master Aaron Banks, Master your Sister Tani, and different people to put me through tests to see if I really had had a breakthrough. It turned out that I did have a breakthrough that lasts to this very day. And that was back in the 70s. Did they test you physically, mentally, and spiritually? Yes. Physically, they put me through uh, tests with other martial artists to see what I could do. And uh, all the other areas went together because the spiritually part came because of the fact that I derived or came to that experience through a spiritual awakening, not through physical training originally. I had some training, but very limited. After that, I could do whatever I will to do. The real, I suppose, testimony is later on, some years down the road, when people had heard about me a lot, a martial arts master named uh, C. O'Neill asked me what I would agree to some tests in Virginia. And he chose some other masters, including Master Otani, who, uh, whose family founded Shitenru Karate. And uh, they put me through more tests. And though I had no belt ranking because I was trained the way I was spiritually, I had no belt ranking. I um, went through the test and in one day I gained black belt rating without any um, intermediary experience. They awarded me black belts that very first day after the test. Wow. Um, that must felt amazing to have that kind of belt in that period of time. In a way, it was uh, a testimony to the experience. And it was a testimony to their ability to embrace it because it wasn't the way it was normally done. But after I was accepted, and given the black belt ranking, I was made the official um, Zen teacher for Budo, which is a, was a martial arts organization founded by Master Neil. We continued to share the Zen insight with other martial artists from different schools, different types of studies, wherever possible. And Zen through martial arts, is it the same as Zen, the religion? That's an interesting question you asked. Zen, to me, it's not a religion per se, Buddhism is, but Zen is not a religion, but a experience that transforms your consciousness. And it can be practiced by a person of any religion, as long as they engage in that uh, discipline. That's what confuses people. Zen is uh, an awakening. When it happens to you, it changes the way you move, the way you breathe, the way you talk, the way you process information, it uh, affects you in that way. How can we isolate it from the dogma of religion to the area of lifestyle? In lifestyle, you simply live what you believe. You practice it. If you say you believe in love, 
then you love. If you believe in peace, you practice peace. If you uh, are being served a cup of tea, you drink it. It is simply living it without taking it through the secondary experience of saying, I should do this, or I'm told to do that. It's, it becomes your primary activity. Through the martial arts, was that your expression of Zen? It was the most noticeable expression. It's what people saw. They were able to put their finger on it if they saw me demonstrate. And I gave demonstrations in many parts of the world and many types of schools from karate to kung fu practitioners to aikido practitioners, jujitsu. I've given demonstrations in many types of schools and have been able to prevail under the circumstances against various experts without any um, preconditions. In other words, I let them do what they want to do and I just respond. What is Kabul's internal expression of Zen? Kitab, what are you talking about? Yes. What is my internal expression? Yes. There's nothing until there's something that needs to be done. It's not like a body of information or anything. I'm aware when something happens. If something falls and I catch it and I didn't know I was going to move, I said, oh, there it is. If uh, a question is given to me and I answer it, then I say, oh, there it is. It comes from a state of Wu uh, Shen or no mind, in which what I say is Wu Shen, Wu Nen, Wu So. No mind. No thought, no reflection, a clarity of mind. In that clarity of mind, things are revealed. If you can maintain that clarity of mind, you're going to have pure activity. So that's where the real uses word advisedly magic is done, is in the clarity of mind. Do you see yourself as a Zen master yourself? I get amazed when people say it. I don't know what that is for real. I just know that. Things have happened to me and uh, I can perform in certain ways and this, the labels are put on by other people and uh, they go deeper than that. The state that you explained, do you identify that or think that that's the state of genius? Other people have said that, but genius can mean many different things. A uh, level of concentration and focus. In a way you can say it's a type of genius. There's a Japanese word Meijin, in which genius is produced by one's practice. So it's a form of genius, but I would never go around and call myself that. Out of all the books you wrote, which was the first one that started your journey of writing? The first book uh, was a poetry book, and it was called Kung Fu the Master. And I did not name it Kung Fu the Master, but the publisher did, Bob Friedman. I called the book the book of Kitabu, but there was a poem in there and the poem was called Kung Fu the Master. And the picture has a picture of me sitting in Zazen of lotus position, half lotus position on the cover. And the publisher th thought to connect that with, the, with the, the poem was a good idea. And that's what made me a target. That's what projected me into the martial arts world, that book Kung Fu the Master, because when it came out and I did television, what was written about, the question came, can he do that? Can he really do those things? And more and more and more, 
rather than people asking me about my poetry, they would ask me about the martial arts. And uh, on one show, I was on there to, to read my poetry, and the host came out in a karate gi, and he said, let's see what you can do with me. And he threw a punch at me, and uh, I spun around him to his back, dove between his legs and came up in front of him and touched him. And that was on live television. So that was spoken about for a long time. But I didn't know that was going to happen. So things like that built this reputation through efforts that I did not initiate. So Kung Fu the Master was the book that started that path. Is there a particular poem from that book that you like? Well, the one that, that poem from Kung Fu the Master itself was uh, The Enemy Strikes but I'm not there. Like water through the fingers, I'm going. Whirling and hitting, spinning and kicking, a thing seen and not seen, felt but not touched. A master of subtlety, I have no face. Well, I'm gonna tell you something. That poem was written in 1975, and then I realized I don't remember it all. <laughs> I haven't said it. <laughs> a master of subtlety, I have no face, you know. But it, just the basic idea was that the practitioner was traceless. Those tiger strong and dragon fierce, I rest in inner peace, would rather give my final breath than cause another's death. That's how it ended. In fact, you know, I could have, uh, if I had known you were going to ask me about that, I would have called that poem up. But uh, I haven't recited that poem in so many years. That's how it ended, that I would rather give my final breath they cause another's death. That the warrior comes from love, not from violence. And that's the truth. After that book, was the Soul Sword the next book in your collection? After that book came The Secret of Freedom. And that continued the warrior aspect in a story, and as a novella about people who were trapped in a city that they could not escape from. And they were really trapped by lies. They kept them bound to a false identity. And the hero, Zafir, seeks to freedom by first freeing himself. That's what that story is about. Does each book have a part of Zen in it? They can't help it. Because it's in me, it's also in the book. But each book, as one person once said, that um, it has a part of everything that I've been in. It has a part of Christianity in it, too, because I can't separate that from my Zen. So when I start talking about Zen, I also quote from the scriptures from the Bible because I see where they connect. And how do they connect? They easily connect. If there is any universal truth, then that means that is universal. That is all what? Now, people interpret things in different ways. They narrow their perceptions and they don't want to see truth when it's across the street so they'll say if a person says water is wet and they're on the other side of the street they don't want to agree with it but when you have a clear perception you recognize truth wherever you see it and you don't uh, discriminate through zen do you see divine nature through your own self I see divine nature in uh, everything. To me, the ordinary world is a miracle. Everything in it is a miracle. 
So it humbles me. Uh, on my uh, email, that I say, the only proof I ever needed that God is, is that I'm alive. Break that down for us. The only proof that I need that there is God is that I myself live. I know that my living is a miracle. And there's just no explanation, no matter how thought out, good enough to explain to me why I exist and the world around me exists, except it is some mysterious happening that cannot really be explained. Moment to moment is a miracle for you then? Yes. Do you know it's a miracle or you just see it coming like it's moment? Oh, I don't need to know what the miracle is. Then my head would explode. <laughs> That'd be too much. I, I would say it's like the character in a book. If someone says to the character in the book, do you believe there's an author? And the character says, yes, I do. And the other character says, well, I don't. Well, the, the character that believes there's an author can't turn around and see the author because the author is creating him. He can't see his creator that way. He can only sense that there's more than himself. That's it. How does the mind decide or calculate all this? Well, it doesn't have to calculate. That's the, the beauty of it. You're just like a, a ship or a sailboat. The wind blows and you move. When you turn to calculate, that's another type of thinking then. That's different. When you start to think, you're moving into the, the, the realm of consciousness, of relativity and all. That's different. That's more scientific, where you have to know. And this experience comes from unknowing. At the beginning of the interview, you explained what the name Kabul is. Kitabu. Sorry, Kitabu. Um, can you explain it to us again, please? Simply, it means of the book. So Kitabu would mean one who's of the book. The book generally means spiritual books, like the Bible or the Koran or, or the Bhagavad Gita or the book, some spiritual uh, foundation of the book. Um, but also, I said the character's key uh, represents the energy of the universe in Japanese and Boo uh, coming from warrior. So it has different meanings to me. And is it the same code as the Bushido? Yes, the same Boo as in Bushido. Ah, so it's the same code like honor, respect, those kind of things. Yes. I see. And do they inherit in your day-to-day -day living? I endeavor to do that. And do you feel that you're, you're doing that throughout the day? I would say mostly. No one is 100%. Do you live in the culture of Japan or do you live in the culture of West, Western civilization? I live right here in America. I enjoy what the Japanese have done, but I don't see Zen as something that belongs only to them, and it doesn't. In Sanskrit, the word Zen is Dhyana, and Korean is Sun. And uh, the Zen experience, as I said, is universal. The Japanese have done a very good job of cataloging and, and writing about it and producing literature in so many different ways to make it known. But they're not the founders of Zen. Your book, The Soul Swords, The Way and Mind of the Zen Warrior, can you explain that about that to us, please? That comes out of the fact that my experience came from the awakening. Like most people who are martial artists, studied by rote, 
and went from white belt to yellow belt to orange or blue belt and all, and all the way up the steps. They know how they got to where they are. They have a catalog of memories and practices to tell them how they got there step by step. In my case, it was a quantum leap and I was there. So what I do is I try to help people understand what it's like to be able to act without thought, to be able to respond to a situation without knowing what the situation is going to be beforehand and see your body do what is necessary to uh, correct it. It's, I want them to know it's possible. So, so, so the way in mind of the same warrior was to help them get to a different mindset, a mind, a, a mental state. To help them realize the spontaneity is possible and wisdom exists within them. Do people, when they read your books, do they, do they compliment you or do they feel that you're, you're right? Your books are like the Bible or the Quran or whatever. Well, recently a Marine wrote on Facebook that it helped him get through the core and become a better soldier. Some people say that it changed their lives and they keep it with them and read it over and over again. I would say that when you're coming from that base of a spiritual experience, it has that kind of uh, quality about it anyway. If you read anybody's work that comes from a spiritual base, it's going to have the uh, attraction of the, um, of, the, of the main source because it's coming from the same spirit. Is that why you talked about awakening? Do you think that's why the book is so important? Yes, I think it's important that it comes from that source of awakening and not just from my intellect. As an individual, how would I know if I'm awakened or not? That's a good question. I don't think you would know just by saying that you would not know. It's experiences that you come in contact with in your life. And it takes those who are already there to point back at you. I mean, I came in contact with many teachers, gurus and others who saw that in me. I didn't see it in myself first. And then they wanted to uh, nurture it. And I didn't mention that uh, 10 years after I uh, met Numa Roshi, I met Sadhguru Sankeshavadas. When I met him, I went to the uh, Koranese Yoga Center to hear him speak. And I saw a light shining around him. So I had to talk to him. And I asked my friends if they saw anything, and they didn't. So I went back to speak to him. And I wasn't supposed to go back there because I wasn't a part of the inner circle. But they let me back there. And when I saw him, I bowed and he put his head, his hand on my head and he said, I, I told him I saw a light coming through him. And he said, I see that light in you. He said, you are chosen by God to be a spiritual teacher. That's what he said. And then he put his hand on my head and prayed for me that I'll be blessed to my mission. So I rose and got ready to leave. And when I was leaving out, his assistant, Swami Omkadas, came behind me holding a flower, a rose. And he said, the master said to give you this. So when he gave me the rose, it seemed like the whole world disappeared and everything vanished. And then there was just a rose again. And I started to cry. And I said, 
you don't know what you just did. And he said, come back with me. And I went back in to see the teacher and he was standing and he had his inner circle around him. And he held out his arms and he said, this is my son. And he embraced me. And for then on, for the next 20 years, we were uh, in, in communion. And he uh, asked me to bridge the gap between East and West, which is why my last book, the one I have out now, Kiasana Zen, Bridging the Gap Between East and West, is called that. Because in 1982, he said that I was chosen to bridge the gap between East and West. To what you would say to when you asked me about Japan, we are born in the West, those of us who are. We, ha- we can't cast aside our total experience. We have to find the truth in where we are. And I work to help people do that. So this book, Kiyasana Zen, or I call it Kiyasana Zen, Bridging the Gap Between East and West, uh, was published by Rainbow Ridge Books. And that's out now. I'm beautiful. Did you feel like it was a burden taking on that, um, that challenge of breaching the East and the West? Yes, because it's, you, no one feels worthy to do something like that or don't even know how to do it. But it is something that uh, develops moment by moment. It comes into you when you sit down and put a pen to the paper or, or something. It comes up as necessary. So I see that I'm not the source of it. I'm just an instrument to which it comes. And over meeting this guru and other gurus, did you feel blessed in their presence? Absolutely. In unexplainable ways, I felt, as I used the word before, transported. I felt in a land of bliss whenever I was in his presence. Why do you think we can't explain those experiences to people? Because people try to reduce things to words, and words are not enough. It's like, if you've never seen something before, and nobody else has ever seen it, how do you describe it? How do you describe heat to a person who's never felt heat? You have to take them and put them in front of the stove. Then they feel it. So how can a person uh, experience awakeness? Is it just through meditating or praying? I would say both of them have their place. As Sanji, Sankasarodas would say, Praying is speaking to God. Meditation is listening to God. Most people talk, but they don't listen. So they're not in the receiving mode. Meditation is being in a receiving mode. In receiving, should we listen or should we, what should we do? You're listening with your heart. You're listening with your soul. Not just the sounds, but in the state of expectation expecting a revelation but not knowing what it is what do you mean by expecting a revolution revelation sorry revelation there's something that's going to be revealed to you that is not not, that's hitherto unknown Mm, i see and when people say i'm awakened i'm enlightened do you believe them or is it just um, experience well i'm not inclined to believe somebody who says i'm awakened i'm enlightened just because I'm pretty, pretty much certain they don't know what they're talking about. I mean, you, you're not going to say I'm enlightened 
I don't think you're going to say that like that. But the evidence of the way you carry yourself will affect other people. And they're going to experience something. You may not even know what they're experiencing. Yeah. But they'll tell you. What is the way of the warrior for you? To be aware, to be mindful of other people, to be protective of those around me. And it could be a simple thing. Once I was sitting on a, on a bus reading a book, and ironically, it was a Zen book. And a lady was sitting across from me with two babies, one on her lap and one sitting next to her. And the bus hit a bump. And the baby sitting next to her flew in the air. And I threw the book down and caught the baby and put the baby back, back next to her. Then I sat down and picked up the book and started reading again. And only after I started reading again did I realize what had just happened. That all of that happened in a moment. And that ability to act without hesitation, to do what was called for perfectly, that was a Zen experience. But at the same time, I might be making a cup of coffee and drop the cup and not catch it. So you're not always on but when it's needed, when you're needed to be there when you're needed. That's the important thing. Like a janitor in some way? Yes. I see. And in your experiences and journey, would you change anything? No, because you can't separate the suffering from the uh, advancing. There was a lot of suffering involved, but it's in the past now. But it was necessary to have that in order to have the focus to come out of it. Through that suffering, does it bring a beauty like a flower? It brings compassion for other people. It's like if I talk to a person and I say, how are you? And they said, I'm doing well. I may say, no, you're not. They said, what do you mean? I said, you just said you're doing well, but I know you're not. Because I can sense that they're not doing well. They were just speaking. They're not going to address what the problem is try to help them. I know, I know you're a writer, but do you have any books that you recommend yourself? Well, I read a lot of different books. But um, what, what you're talking about, what subject you're talking about? Any subject, whatever fancies your, your passion outside of the Zen and spiritual and martial arts. Well, then you would take me completely out of my reading. Uh, when I was growing up, I read everything. I mean everything, even the cornflakes box. And I, I still read different things that come across my path, articles, you know, uh, that go across my path. But I tend to read more, mostly in my field of interest because people always ask me questions and I want to be able to refer them to information that they need to see something. Like, uh, I like a book by Shunru Suzuki uh, beginner's mind. I like that book on for beginner's mind. I thought that was uh, excellent and simple to read, but it's uh, wonderful. Is there a particular item or gem that you like to pass to myself and the listeners? To, to recognize that we were born with everything we needed already operating within us. But as we grew older and we were taught by so many different people, we were pulled away from the simplicity to the complexity. So 
there is a, a, a scripture that says, except you come as a child, you shall in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. That's one of those phrases I say that re reflect on the ascendance. To come as a child is to have a childlike mind. If you have a childlike mind, you're already in heaven because the way you see things, the way you experience things, you don't hold on to animosities and you're able to flip like a butterfly from flower to flower. So you're basically empty of weight. That's an important thing that you can maintain a childlike consciousness. You're already just about there. So I would say simplify your life, not complicate. Is there any particular meditation that an individual should practice or just breathing? Just breathing is very good. The alternative is not very good. If you're not breathing within the end of your meditation that's taking place, uh, being mindful of your breathing is important. If you're going to sit and breathe, then keep your back straight and not lean to the left or the right or back or the forward so that you're self-supporting and uh, don't concentrate on the thoughts that, have, that occur in your head. You're going to have thoughts, but the trick is not to concentrate on them, not to make them a focus so that if, you, if they're like clouds in the sky, one goes by and the next one goes by. You don't follow them all the way to the end of the sky, which is, of course, you'll never get to the end, but you let them flow by. You let the thoughts flow by one behind the other. And then it's to be as if you had no thoughts, because in that space between the thoughts, that's when your experience is going to grow. I see. And my last question is, how can we become centered? Well, the question is how do we lose our center? We lose our center when we become too caught up in uh, our external activities, take everything so seriously. We need to relax. We need to realize that the day that we're in now is fleeting, but our spirit is eternal and always there. So that we're, we're, the center is that spiritual base that is always there, but everything around us is coming and going, coming and going, coming and going. We try to grab and hold on to them. Then we lose our center. But if we just let them flow past us, we will remain calm. Just like you're watching a TV show. You can only watch the show as long as you let the images go past you. If you put it on pause, then the show effectively ends. As long as it's moving, it's alive, it's active. So let the things move on. The one who's observing, that's the center. Magnificent. Where can we find you? I'm here. <laughs> no, but like, where can we find your your website and your books and so on? Okay, the practical question. Yes. You can find my website at www.soulsword.com. And you can find my books in Barnes and Nobles, Amazon.com, your usual bookstores, or, but if you go to, um, Amazon.com, you can definitely find them there. You can always ask your bookseller to uh, 
look it up because if they don't happen in the stores, they will order them. Fantastic. Do you have any projects coming up for 2016? I'm working on a new book called uh, Ride the Mighty High. And Ride the Mighty High grows out of a, a flatline experience I had when I um, effectively died for a short period of time. And it was a different thing than the enlightenment experience. And I want to share what happened in that experience and what I learned. It's sort of, it's sort of a retroactive retroactive uh, book because it's autobiographical all about my spiritual journey, much more autobiographical than my other books. But it's called Ride the Mighty High. And that's with my agent now. Fantastic. I just want to say thank you for coming onto the show and sharing your experiences and knowledge. Well, thank you, everyone, very much. And I finally made it to the Emerald Isles. <laughs> yes, my, you did. At least my voice did. <laughs> yeah, technology does that. It's amazing. Yes. I appreciate you very much. Uh, I should ask you a question. Yes. Is there really a path of gold at the end of the rainbow? You should know that. You're a Zen master. <laughs> oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh fantastic you're doing a, a good work oh thank you and the top of the, the morning to you <laughs> yeah cool I'm glad we had this talk thank you for spending the time to listen to the show if you want to learn more check out sansit.com that's s-a-n-c-i-t dot com join Sansit group on Facebook and contact us if you have any questions. Until next time, have an awesome day and rock on.